freedom ultimately comes not from any law that is passed, not from any uh, regulation that changes. Freedom comes when the truth of Jesus sets people free. And so you and I, we continue as men of God to cry for freedom, to see those who are enslaved by sin or systems of injustice or brokenness that is generationally deep, and you and I cry out to God, come and set us free. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. It's that time of the year where we as a country focus a whole lot on one very important word, freedom. I I was at Walmart yesterday. I was buying cleaning supplies for the church building today when we're doing that work day later. You can still join us this afternoon. But as I was there, I saw a tank top that I was really tempted to buy. It was an eagle, and this bald eagle was you know, definitely super muscular and strong, and the bald eagle was wearing a tank top that had the American flag on it. You know, what's more American than an eagle with the American flag? And in big words, it said on this tank top, don't take my freedom. We love freedom in America. We're all about freedom. But what exactly is freedom? See, today as we dive into Real Men Cry, uh, we're talking about this reality that masculinity requires you and me to cry for freedom. But how? See, as Americans, we are a product of the Enlightenment. If you're not familiar with the Enlightenment, I'll give you a brief history lesson. Uh, The Enlightenment was a period of time in the 1600s and 1700s where they began to shift the center of society away from the community and away from God and began to place man, the individual, as the center of everything. And our founding fathers were Enlightenment thinkers who wanted to see what an experiment in the individual would look like. And so our Bill of Rights and our Constitution, most of what founded this country was based on this principle. How do we grant freedom to the individual? And most importantly, what is the freedom the individual has? As a result of this line of thinking and this train of thought, what has come is a country that values your individual rights. We think and we act as if your right is the most important thing and nothing in this world can or should ever infringe upon your rights. Have you ever heard somebody talk like that? Is that language that you're familiar with? Don't take away my freedom really means don't tell me what to do or what to say or how to act. Don't tell me what's right or wrong. It's all about me and my decision, what seems good to me. 
don't take away my freedom oftentimes we use for things that are really ultimately small and insignificant. Next week when we gather, if you would like to wear a mask, you are welcome to. And we won't judge you for wearing a mask because currently our, our government is saying the best thing we can do right now to love and serve our neighbors wear a mask. And if it's uncomfortable, are they really taking away freedom to say, please do this, or we strongly support this? Well, if the American understanding of freedom, that's all about you, and all about your rights, and all about your perspective, if this uh, understanding of freedom is true, there's really no ground to say, please do this or don't do that. And, and anything that infringes upon the individual's ability to be or do what they want to be or do, we would say that's wrong. And maybe you've seen individual rights get abused. We uh, per the, the gift of this country, we have the right to free speech. We can say whatever we want with minimal fear of consequence. And sometimes, far too often, Christians even, take advantage of this right to say whatever they want. And they use that as an excuse to justify saying hurtful or hateful or really terrible things especially if it builds up their worldview or builds up their political platform or builds up their own ideology. We say things because it's our right and you can't stop me. But this kind of individual freedom is not found in the Bible. This kind of individual freedom is not what scripture describes as the freedom of a Christian or even what the life of a Christian looks like when free. So if freedom is not about your individual rights, if it's not about you being infringed upon, if, if scriptural freedom is something different, what is it? A pastor in the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther, he wrote a, a whole treatise, like 25 pages, about here's what the Christian freedom is. And if you go and you read it, it's filled with all kinds of quotes from scripture. Here's what the Bible says about freedom. And he begins with these paradoxes. Christian freedom is this. First, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. You as a Christian must bow down to nobody. You as a Christian can reign and rule and be over all things. But then comes the flip side of the paradox. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to to all. Martin Luther, he spells out this idea of freedom and says, freedom, according to scripture, means you are completely free from everybody. And at the same time, you're completely obligated to everybody. How is it that we can be both free and obligated? Enslaved is the language sometimes used. How can we be both free and enslaved at the same time? Well, to get to that, we're going to just jump right into Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus' words in John chapter 8 and what it means for you and me to actually be free. For real men to cry for freedom, warning, it has nothing to do with the American ideals and nothing to do with the individual. But freedom is something so much greater. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. 
right before this, he's speaking about how he is the light of the world. He is the hope. He's the one that everybody needs. And it says that uh, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. There's a whole crowd of people who hear what Jesus says and are like, this is incredible. This is what we've been waiting for. This is our hope. And so then he follows it up. And he says this in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus, he's speaking to them, and he says, Here's the deal. I have come that you can be free. I've come to give you freedom. If you abide in my word, you will be mine. And if you are mine, the truth will set you free. You've probably heard this before. It's often quoted in movies and things. The truth shall set you free. And usually it doesn't actually give context for what it really means. Jesus is speaking to them and he says, If you are in me, you will be free. But clearly they're confused because they respond. They answer him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, the the Jews who had just come to believe in Jesus, these people who are hearing what he says saying, that sounds great. They're confused. They look at their life and say, I've never been enslaved. How can I be set free? I've never been bound to anyone. I've never been in this position where I was forced to be at somebody else's beck and call. What do you mean that we're set free? For many of us as Americans, it's hard to imagine what it would be like to actually be physically enslaved. For many of us as Americans, it's really hard to understand how this could be a reality. And yet, as a country, this was our reality. Even when we started on the basis of freedom for the individual, there was still a whole group of people that we said, but their freedom doesn't actually count. Freedom for everybody, but not these people. And for those of us who've never been enslaved and don't know anybody who's been enslaved, to hear these words of Jesus that his truth, the truth, will set us free can be kind of confusing and maybe even off-putting. So Jesus, he continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. This truth in scripture is this, that you and I are enslaved. If you have ever done anything wrong, if you have ever thought anything harmful against your neighbor, if you've ever said anything that brought pain to yourself or someone else, you have sinned. And if we have sinned, we are slaves. In the book of Romans, it expands upon this a little more, and it talks about just how much we've been enslaved. That we were either slaves to the devil or slaves to righteousness. We're either bound to sin or we're bound to God. As Americans who think the, the goal in life is the pursuit of freedom, this can be really hard to swallow. You and I are not free. We are either slaves to one or the other. We are either slaves to the working of evil, to the will of the devil, to do the things that are contrary to our neighbor and contrary to God. 
or were slaves to God. That's the only picture scripture paints, one or the other. And in Romans, in this section, it actually gives us a really unfortunate and difficult to swallow reality. And this unfortunate and difficult to swallow reality is this. If we are slaves to sin, the outcome is always death. If we are slaves to sin, there is zero hope. But if we are slaves to God, everything changes. It says this in Romans, uh, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You guys know what this is like, right? When you were young and free and can do as you please, your life, maybe like mine, was filled with all kinds of things that were fun in the moment that seemed good to me at the time, taking advantage of my individual freedom to do as I please. And now I look back and say, I wish I hadn't done many of those things. Look, the fruit of your sin is shame and death. But then he goes on, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the truth of the matter is we were enslaved to sin. You and I, each one of us. This means that we do the very things we wish we wouldn't do. This means that we continue to go back to the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups, the things in our life that cause more pain, even though we know the fruit of them. We know the shame that comes from them. We know the pain that comes out of them, yet we keep going back to them. You and I we're enslaved to sin. The only fruit of that sin is death. Death in our relationships, death in our emotional health, death all around us and the people we care about, even very physically, death itself. But now we've been set free. And the end of this freedom is actually an entirely different life, an entirely different ultimate end goal. The end of this new freedom is the Lord's sanctification and eternal life. Something that can never be taken, never be destroyed, never put us back in slavery again. Coming back to John 8 here with Jesus, he says, Look, you were once slave to sin, but now you've been set free. And he expands upon it a little further. He says this, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, in a household, the slave is one who is temporary, who is transient. The slave is one who does not belong other than to do the master's will, but the son. The son in a household has a special privilege, a special place, a special honor. The son gets to know the will of the father, the desires of the father, the love of of the Father. Jesus says, look, if you are a slave to sin, you don't belong in the house. But if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Martin Luther, and what he says here is, in this paradox, as he summarizes the freedom of the Christian. Look, we are a perfectly free Lord of all. Because Jesus has set us free, there is nobody and nothing 
that can ever enslave us again. See, because Jesus has given his life and suffered and died, you and I are free. That no matter what is spoken against you, no matter what evil is done to you, no matter what pain you walk through, you have this promise that you are and always will be a son, welcomed in the household of God. Nobody can steal that from you. And yet at the same time, while we have this total freedom that's not about you but what God has done for you, we also are under an obligation because of our freedom. This obligation is for the sake of our neighbor. In our individualistic society that focuses on your rights and my rights, I often hear Christians arguing about my rights being infringed upon. Luther's paradox here, the summary of our freedom that Christ gives us, is ultimately this. You and I as individuals have no rights. But we do have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for our neighbor. We have a responsibility for the people around us whom we are called to love. We have a responsibility for their rights to protect and defend and guard them. We have a responsibility to cry for freedom. So when people are being enslaved, either through systems of injustice or ideologies that lead them away from the truth, when people are being enslaved by the very sin that we once walked in, we have a responsibility for the sake of our neighbor to become subject to all, servant of all, to lay down our lives, not as sons, not as slaves, but to lay down our lives as a gift that they might find the freedom we have found as well. How do we do this? How do we lay down this life of ours? Well, the cry for freedom, I want us to look at two men who very literally cried for freedom. In the history of the world, two men who I think have shaped our country and this world more than I could ever hope to myself. The first is a man named John Newton. Have you heard of him? Maybe not. John Newton was a pastor who spent nine years in the Royal Navy. And as part of the British Royal Navy, he also spent time on slave ships actively trading slaves from Africa to America. And after the nine years of seeing these horrendous things, the way these people were treated as less than people, how they were literally and physically enslaved in chains, many of them dying even on the journey over. After having helped trade over 20,000 slaves, he realized the weight of his sin the ways he had been contributing to something that was completely ungodly. And he repented, and he gave up his life at sea, and he committed himself as a priest, and he began to pour into a new kind of freedom. He began to pour his life into preaching the word and sharing this good news that Jesus frees us. And he penned the words of a, a song you're probably well familiar with thinking about the life he had been in and the newfound freedom that Christ has given, how he'd been set free from darkness and brought into the light. He penned these words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. 
a man as miserable and as, as dark, as, as filthy as me, that I would even trade people for slavery. How great and truly amazing is this grace that our God has, that he could take me out of that bondage to sin and set me free. And John Newton, he became friends with and a mentor to another British man, a man named William Wilberforce. At the age of 21, uh, William Wilberforce, he entered into the British Parliament and began a career in politics. And shortly thereafter, he was greatly moved by John Newton and several others to see the reality of slavery as such a horrendous evil. And in this, this pain that he felt, he committed his life to fighting for the end of slavery. Over 20-some years went by before he saw the first significant progress. It was in 1807 that the Slave Trade Act in Great Britain and the British Empire was passed. And this Slave Trade Act made it illegal to trade slaves in the British Empire. But William Wilberforce, he knew his life wasn't finished. Though he'd spent 20 years fighting for the abolition of slavery, he knew his work to cry for freedom wasn't over because there were still people enslaved. And he continued to fight. For almost 26 years, everything he did after that point, for an additional 26 years, he continued to give his life to saying, this needs to end. And people ridiculed him. People mocked him. And at times his life was really difficult because his cry for freedom said, because Christ has set me free. We also must set our neighbor free. In 1838, sorry, 33, I miswrote it. In 1833, three days before his death, he saw the passing in the British Parliament of the Slavery Abolition Act. Almost 50 years of his life, William Wilberforce cried for the very freedom of those who were being enslaved in the empire of Great Britain. Three days before his death, he saw it come to pass. See, his whole life was centered in crying for freedom for those enslaved. And while he was physically crying for the freedom of those actually literally enslaved, it was so much more for him. This cry for freedom, this desire to give his whole life for those enslaved, came not for the purpose of seeing the individual rights be restored came not for the desire to see the individual elevated to this place to be and do whatever he wanted. No, their fight and cry for freedom was born out of a reality, out of a place of seeing the very freedom Christ had given to them. And out of that freedom, that they were no longer bound in sin, but now made sons, they wanted to see their neighbors experience the same grace and the same hope and the same love that they themselves had experienced. You and I today don't often have an opportunity to cry for freedom for those enslaved. Though slavery still exists, that's why we partner with the Coalition Against Human Trafficking, because there are still some physically enslaved. Much of our life cries for freedom a little differently. See, freedom ultimately comes not from any law that is passed, not from any uh, regulation that changes. Freedom comes when the truth of Jesus sets people free. 
so you and I, we continue as men of God to cry for freedom. To see those who are enslaved by sin or systems of injustice or brokenness that is generationally deep. And you and I cry out to God, come and set us free. And then we make ourselves subject to all servant of everyone, not needing to defend our voice or stand for my rights, but seeking to build up our neighbor, to love our enemy, to pray for those who persecute us. We cry for freedom by sharing this good news that Christ has made us sons, that Christ has come for all who are sinful to bring us out of death and into life. And so when you and I commit our lives to trusting in his promises, to living according to his will, to walking in his ways, to connecting the disconnected, this is how we cry for freedom. See, true freedom has nothing to do with your rights or your ability to say or do whatever you want. True freedom is the ability to believe in God and in turn to do his will to walk in his ways that others, specifically our neighbors, can be set free. Church, I believe we are in a time right now where you and I need to stand up and we need to cry for freedom. Like John Newton, like William Wilberforce, we need to see the weight of our sin and the freedom Christ has given to us. And we need to be moved out of love and compassion to lay down our lives and to serve those who are still enslaved by sin. And say, Christ has come to set you free. Let me show you the way. Let me share with you the hope. And let me help you experience a God who loves you too much to leave you enslaved. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have set us free. God, the truth you being the truth has set us free. So help us to connect with your word, to experience your son, to begin to live in this newfound freedom as people who leave our houses and leave our computer screens and leave our lives and go into this world to love, not seeking our own individual right to say and do or be whatever we want, but seeking to bring people to know your truth, to walk in your will, to love as you have loved. Help us, God, to connect the disconnected. And like John Newton, like William Wilberforce, may we cry with everything in us for true freedom. And may we do whatever it takes to see your will and your word go forth in this world to change the hearts of those who are hurting, to bring healing to those who are broken, to set free the captive that you might be made known. Teach us, Lord, to trust in your promises, to walk in your ways, to believe in your goodness, and to connect the disconnected. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. So this is the part of the service where we take time to uh, address your questions and talk about the things you are still curious about. The first one that came in, can you guys imagine Kanye West running for president? <laughs> well, he announced it yesterday, so I guess we don't even need to announce it uh, because apparently, or we don't need to imagine it, apparently it's happening. So yeah, Kanye West thinks he should be the president. Um, 
All right, next it says in Hebrews 12 that uh, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I thought the grace of God was freely given. How can you fail to receive the grace of God? That is a great question. Failing to receive the grace of God, uh, it implies this context. If, if you look what comes immediately after that, this root of bitterness grows. Failing to receive the uh, grace of God is not trusting in God's good news in this promise. Failing to receive it is putting some kind of obstacle between you and God that he's freely giving this gift. And you say, I just don't think that's for me. And, and so when we live in such a way that we actually cause a stumbling block to our neighbor, that we insist on our own way in such a way that actually pushes them away from God, that's causing them to fail to receive God's grace. So you and I are called as Christians to love and to serve in such a way that our neighbor has no reason to look at us and say, how could there be a God who truly loves me? That hopefully through us and the way in which we repent and the way in which we seek forgiveness and the way in which we seek to live, uh, they will see God's love for them. Next, this question, what do you mean when you say we have no rights? As Americans... You have lots of rights. As Christians, God is not eager to give you your individual rights. In fact, he actually calls every one of us to be like Jesus and to lay down our life to die to ourself for the sake of our neighbor. So when I say we have no rights, yes, you most certainly have rights as Americans, but as Christians, our responsibility is to give everything of ourselves up. To not insist on our own ways or the need to defend ourselves or the need to be able to say or do what is best for me. But rather, we become servant of all. We become subject to all and we lay down our lives and say, for the sake of my neighbor, I will endure all things. For the sake of my neighbor, whatever comes, I will handle. It'll be okay. And so to say we don't have rights means while we live as American citizens and we get to celebrate the American privileges and rights we've been afforded, we also trust in God above those things. So if it requires me to put on a mask that my neighbor feels comfortable, so be it. If it requires me to uh, choose to not speak when I have the right to speak so that I'm not instigating a fight or stirring things up, so be it. If it requires me to set aside my own desires for the sake of my neighbor, so be it. That's what I mean when I say we have no rights. That our responsibility as Christians is not to fight for our rights, but to lay down our lives for the freedom of those who are bound in sin. All right, let's see if there's anything else before we finish here. That looks like all of them. If I missed a question and you would like me to address it later, uh, just text it in and I will respond to it next week. Um, or I can respond during the week if you'd prefer. Feel free to reach out to me directly. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Over the last 17 weeks, it has been such a joy and a privilege to continue to connect with you online. And I'm really eager next week to connect in person. If you still don't feel comfortable get, getting out in the community, you feel like it's better for you and your family to stay home, please continue to join us online uh, for the coming weeks. Otherwise, I'll see you next week at our new church home on Fifth Avenue.
Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.